Listener Production. KickPod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulukut Wulung clan of the Boomerang, who are a part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to our elders, past and present, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the KickPod, your DM on the stuff that matters, but also the stuff that doesn't. One, two, three, Hello. Hello. Hi. Today's a great day because we have finally got Carly Finlay on the podcast. Mm. We have had her on our guest list Mm. for quite a long time. So it was so exciting to finally be able to chat. Carly is amazing. She is a writer, speaker and appearance activist. Um, Carly identifies as disabled. She is an ambassador for Face Equality Week and she's also the access advisor at the Melbourne Fringe Festival. Yes, Carly has a genetic skin disorder called ichthyosis. It's rare, lifelong genetic skin condition which causes skin to build up scale and flake. And it causes her skin to be extremely dry, itchy and sore. So Carly does explain, you know, her day-to-day in this episode um, of what living with ichthyosis is like. One of the things that she has had to overcome, unfortunately, is outrageous amounts of bullying. She's a huge advocate for owning your appearance and embracing your disability. And we do have a clip to share of Carly's that she shared online but a bit of a content warning before we play this clip. It does discuss violence, online abuse, suicide, disability hate speech, and hate crime. So if this content might be triggering for you, we recommend skipping forward a couple of minutes. These are things that have been said to or written about me in response to my facial difference and skin condition. Many other people with facial differences endure statements like these as well. I couldn't handle looking like you. Is there a makeup to reduce the redness? You just look so unfortunate. I'd kill myself if I looked like you. I feel uncomfortable when I'm around you and people stare at you. Can you just stop scratching? It's very annoying. You look like something my dog threw up. All of your posts on Instagram need to be deleted. I am serious. No one needs to see such ugly faces pop up on the screen every day. I feel like I'm going to be sick thinking about all of the skin. You're actually quite pretty considering. It's so good that someone like you is getting out and about. Jesus loves you. Some of these things are well-meaning and curious. Some are hate speech. They are all stigmatising, implying that people like me with facial differences should not be seen. They make us want to hide, which can cause loneliness, isolation, a lack of opportunity and self-hatred. But being visible in the street, in shops, in workplaces, in the media, everywhere, helps stop the stigma. Being visible as a person with a facial difference is being defiant. We will not hide. Carly is amazing. As you have just heard from that clip, Mm. what she's had to endure is... Sorry to swear, but fucked, mm, truly, fucked. What, what people say. Um, but obviously, as you heard at the end of that clip, Carly does incredible work mm. in changing the way 
that we speak um, and educating people, which is so, so, so very important. Carly's also written two books. One is called Say Hello and the other Growing Up Disabled in Australia. We'll put the links to both of those books in the show notes and we hope you enjoy this very important conversation. Carly, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to have you and it's quite quite funny. Laura just mentioned how beige she's feeling in this <laughs> I <moment>. know. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I wish I wore something bright and colourful. Because you're always so fabulously colourful. Thank you. We are so excited to have you on for many reasons. Um, obviously for the work that you do in your space. Uh, with us at Kick, what we like to do within our community um, is really empower our community members to feel comfortable with who they are in mm-hmm. their own skin and yep. and find comfort in that yep. um, and also help them rebuild, if they need to, their relationship with themselves. Mm-hmm. And obviously, all of what you do is that and so much more. And for anyone that's listening in who may not know you, Carly, I would love mm-hmm. for you to speak through your disability ichthyosis and yep. explain to everyone what I suppose your day-to-day is like and what you live with. Yeah, sure. So I was born with a rare severe skin condition um, and it's called ichthyosis. There's no cure. There's a spectrum of severity and my type, Netherton syndrome, is on the severe end. So um, uh, when I was born, they didn't expect me to live. The doctors didn't expect me to live. Oh, and wow. So, yeah. And so, uh, you know, very, very prone to infections. Lots of people with this condition particularly when you're like baby to, um, you know, in your growth years, there, there's a concept of failure to thrive, which means that often no matter how much you eat, you don't put on any weight because you're so, your body's using so many, so much energy right. to make up skin. And so I, until I, well, until I was about 30, I guess, I had a really great metabolism. <laughs> I could just eat anything, anything. Um, and yeah, so I was very tiny, very... Um, sore and obviously unable to communicate, Mm. you know, the pain level. But then as I grew older and could articulate it and could do the treatments myself, I think that it got got lots easier. I used to spend a lot of time in hospital um, living in Aubrey. There was no dermatologist that we Mm. wanted to see. There was a dermatologist there, but he told my parents very early on that um, I wasn't getting better because uh, they weren't looking after me properly. So my parents oh. certainly quickly told him that... Fair enough. You know, where yep. to go. Yep, good. Um, and so, yeah, most of my care was in Melbourne, so my parents would have to travel. Um, yeah, so I did, yeah, hospital for a lot of my life, mm. you know, weeks at a time, and then as an outpatient in the clinic. Um, and then I think, yeah, as I got older, it I wouldn't say it improved, but my ability to maintain it improved mm. uh, because I could, you know, take care of it myself. Mm. Um, and then aside from the medical stuff, like there's lots of medical stuff. There's inability to regulate my temperature. I, I condition where I'm very light sensitive ears, um, where the skin builds up in your ears. Some people with ichthyosis have um, hearing loss as well. Mm. So they might wear a cochlear implant. Mine's not too bad. Um, but aside from all the, you know, the medical stuff, the pain and, and the cold and um, scale, I think the social issues are the hardest thing to manage, like people's reactions. You know, I say I don't want a cure for my condition, but certainly not my parents. Definitely wouldn't mind a cure for the pain. But 
I would like a cure for people's ableism because yeah. the stares and the comments and the sniggers and the exclusion, that can, that can be really hard. Um, yeah, particularly when I was a child, I thought, you know, that was really hard. Um, it really changed, though, when I started uni and started working part-time at a department store. That really changed. So, yeah, it's... But it, it just, I think, like everything, you get used to it and it's just what you live with. And In what way yeah. did it change between um, kind of when you were yeah. younger to... Yeah, just finding finding people who got me and I think when you start a job, and I w- really wish I'd started working earlier, like I started working when I was 17, I'd say. Yeah, 17. Um, I really wish I'd started working when I, you know, at the minimum age mm. because I think you have to, when you get a job, you have to abide by the code of conduct mm. at work and it's just this whole different environment to school and... Um, but aside from that, it really prepared me to deal with people's questions and comments you know, in a quite professional level. Like, I'd have to serve people and if then they made a comment about my skin, I would have to work out how to handle that, like, mm. while still being professional and serving someone and, and yet setting boundaries. So, for example, um, there was a time when I was wearing uniform. I worked at Kmart and... Uh, they had to wear uniform back in the day. I don't think they do now, um, but we wore a uniform. And I was buying a CD single. That's how old I am. I oh, no, we were buying yeah, a CD same. single. Yeah. <laughs> buying a CD and isn't single. it funny, just a single, isn't it actually, I ever forgot that. Yeah. I think I, of CDs with like 20 songs, no, but we yeah. actually would buy just one song on yeah. one CD. Yep. yep. It's probably, they were like nine ninety nine too, weren't they? Yeah. Especially if they were a new. Yep. Kay might have them a bit cheaper at the time. Uh, yes, I think yes. they might have had them under $5, yeah. but yeah. So <laughs> buying a CD while wearing my uniform, about to start my shift, and this guy behind me, um, you know, referred to me as a lobster. And then I didn't know what to do because I wasn't working, but I was in uniform. And uh, I remember saying to my the manager, the store manager, I said, what, what do I have to do here? What, what are my options? Like, can I speak up? Will I be unprofessional in speaking up if I'm wearing a uniform and so we worked out some strategies and I could, you know, pass on the customer if I didn't want to serve them. I could just say, um, normally it would just be I was born like that and then just continue or I could say, you know, um, you're you're not making me feel comfortable. Um, So I thought that was a really good introduction into how to deal with that Mm. stuff. So, yeah. So, yeah, it it was really good and, you know, I've still got many of those friends that I met at Kmart you know, all these years later. So that's good. And then this, and the same for uni. It was just so much different to school. Yeah. And, and you said before that you don't want a cure for mm. your appearance, which I think is fantastic. Mm. I think what, and it's something that you speak about so often and I think it's so great, is people giving unsolicited advice online. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I can't imagine how hard that would be mm. for you. I mean, even this is, this example is completely not, nowhere near to the, the level that you um, have to go through every single day. But even like last week, we posted a video about, I have, I literally have weed my pants before, like I have really bad pelvic floor or whatever bladder. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. so when I need to go, I'm like, I'm like, I have to go right now. Whatever. Yeah, we work with it. Whatever, yeah. fine. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter. We made a funny video out of it and I thought it was funny. And honestly, I've never thought about it like I need to go fix this or whatever. It just doesn't impact me much at all. I don't, really yeah. don't care. Anyway, and so many people messaged me with like, here's the medication you should take. And, and I was like, oh, guys, <laughs> like I, I know. like, And they thought they were probably doing it out of love or helping. Yeah, absolutely. But it was like I, 
I don't want to fix ask it. It's not a problem for me. It's fine. It is what it is. Always well intentioned from their point of view. But yeah. Uh, Yeah, every time I do media, I would get emails to say, hey, even literally even when I've said I don't want a cure, I'd get Mm. messages. Um, I'll just say, I've got my own treatments. Thank you. Or don't reply. You know, I don't, I don't have to reply. Yeah, exactly. Or I can send, I, I've written a, a stack on it, so I just send them links mm-hmm. and then they get really rude. Like, oh, sorry, I've even offered you something. Um, I remember being in a cafe a few years ago and this guy came up to us, my husband and I was sitting down eating and this guy was like, oh, I've tried this thing in France. Like I've tried some water <laughs> at a waterfall. <laughs> Oh God, no! <laughs> and he Magic gave fountain. them. Yeah, he gave gave a card, and generally, like Adam doesn't speak on behalf of me, but he said, "You just like bet you didn't," and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny, oh. but I've had people like chase me if they've seen me, and then they've, like followed me, chased me to give me a card of some, you know, herbal practitioner. Are they or, often pyramid schemes? Yes. Do you ever get it like <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I, when I when I used to work for the government, again, it was that weird code of conduct thing when mm. you don't know how you can mm. respond to them. And I used to do a job where there was my equivalent in every single office around Australia. And we had a big meeting one day bringing us all together. And this guy was, you know, saw me and he said, oh, what, what do you do outside of work? And I said, um... I'm a writer and I, just, I didn't want to go into it. And I, so I just said, I write about health stuff. And um, he's like, oh, I work in health too. And he's selling some pills. <laughs> and then he messages me on the system the next day going, oh, I want you to come and speak at our our conference. <laughs> and he said, we don't have money to pay you, but we can pay you in these pills. Oh, God. And I said, no. Like, I, I can't even take cold and flu tablets without them being, you know, susceptible to a reaction. Mm. So as if I could take these things. Anyway, I did actually. That's a life lesson. If anyone ever offers in any, anyone listening, if anyone says I'll pay you in pills, no. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure in what (laughs) it came in. Yeah, like I don't even know what was in them. And, but then... I get sometimes I also get mistaken for people. So, the genetic makeup of ichthyosis, mm-hmm. the, particularly the types I've got, type I have rather, is very. Um, it means that you look very similar to someone else with the condition, mm-hmm. more so than your sibling or your family member. I don't have siblings, but um, so if someone is in the media or on social media um, with ichthyosis, I often get mistaken for them, and. I was at a party once uh, for a writing conference on the Gold Coast and this woman comes up. It's quite, I find it really hard to deal with drunk people because they're just so either rude or over the top. And she was like, oh my God, I saw you um, recently. You know, you were in the hospital last week in Brisbane. And I said, oh no, I, I wasn't. And she's like absolutely adamant about seeing me. And she'd mistaken me for my then you know, like nine-year-old friend with ichthyosis. Um, and then I ended up writing a piece for the newspaper about that, about how we are we are often so homogenised and, and like people with dwarfism, for example, often get mistaken yeah. for each other and, yeah. And oh, I just, I mean, people are just mm. like truly like, sorry, that fucked. Like, <laughs> and, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts that you've done and, and that you've spoken about your experience with just what people have said 
to mm. you. And and even what you said before about what someone said in, in Kmart mm. behind you, it, it's just, I can't imagine how hard it would be because I think it's like you can't and you do so much awareness work, which is fantastic. But it's also, it's just, it's incredible that you do it because I feel like as well, we can't, and this is what we find with, with some of the work that we do, like you can't educate mm. every single person in Australia with, mm-hmm. with the work, right? Like if only mm-hmm. we could. And it's really difficult because often the people that are listening are the ones that are probably more tuned in anyway. And it's that, mm. that outer, I don't know what minded. you call them. They're so yeah. close-minded yeah. that they say, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it is really tricky. I mean, I have had a lot of people tell me that they've heard my story and they've changed the way they think or realise that, um, you know, what they've said to someone isn't appropriate. I think, I think one of the things that I've learned in doing this as well is that, you know, I've had this since birth and so I only know my own experience, mm. but one of the things that someone taught me, I was at a, conf- a writing conference and there was a woman that had acquired a facial difference through family violence. Mm. And she said that she's never heard anyone talk about facial difference before. And so we got in touch and we're really good friends now and we've met a couple of times. And um, she taught me that when someone asks what happened to you, some people have to relive their trauma. Mm, And people don't think of that. It's like when they see someone who looks different, um, they're just entitled to their story. But Mm. no matter what, we shouldn't have to live our trauma for someone else's curiosity. And I think the expectation to educate and to answer a question every time Mm. because being a teaching moment is seen as so important to educate around diversity. I think that that's a double-edged sword there. Yeah, as a balance. You know, where, mm. yes, educating helps, but also at what cost to the person. Because for me, it's probably the 10th time I've been asked why I look that way mm. in a day. For you, it might be the first time you see me. So, yeah. So that's really tricky. Like, I get it. I get... And so that is kind of why I educate on my terms, where I will have document, uh, you know, a blog to link them to. That I can send to, or here's my book, you know, um, I can do that because I've already got that stuff. And and I know people use it as well, you know, like um, I had a really lovely experience recently where a mum-to-be had messaged me on Instagram and she said that her prenatal scan said that she was having a child with ichthyosis and she lives in Melbourne and she wanted to know as much about it to be prepared and to become a really good ally. So I sent her a whole heap of stuff like support groups and the clinic in the ichthyosis clinic at the hospital. And um, then, yeah, she had her baby and I got to meet the baby a couple of weeks ago, which Mm -hmm. was really exciting. Um, But yeah, just that was really great, like having that open-mindedness and knowing that I can be a resource for someone Mm. um, was, yeah, it's really quite a privilege. It's so special, but I can just also imagine it would just be really hard too because it's like, as you just said, it's like, I think it's that, it's the first time that person has seen you, but it's the 10th time you've answered that question in a Mm. day. And I think too, there's also so much wrong with the question of like, why do you look that way or what happened? Mm. Because you were born this way Mm. and there's nothing wrong with you, but the question is loaded with like, we just, Mm. it's so hard because of course I completely understand that a lot of people, they wouldn't realise like, 
what that is putting on you with that question. Mm. But we just, we have to think about the way that yeah. we speak and the language that we use. Yeah. I think even just like, do you mind me asking is yeah. fine. Um, I went to a high tea a few weeks ago and um, I went with my friend. It was really lovely. It was a charity high tea and there was a, uh, there were two retired nurses sitting near me and they were lovely. And they were my parents' age in their 70s and, you know, they, they asked me, what, you know, what's your skin condition? Can I ask you? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And then asked that. But then then they went on more. Like, and, of course, again, it's well-intentioned and mm. they're interested from a nursing point of view, but they said, oh, you know, and what's your shower routine for the day? And I said to them, look, I just want to enjoy my cake here and, and enjoy the afternoon. Mm. And, and I said, you, I bet you aren't asked these questions. And I wasn't trying to be rude about it or anything. Mm. I just said, you know, I just want to um, enjoy this time. I don't need to answer these questions. And then when we left, they said, oh, I'm really sorry to offend you. I said, no, no, it's fine. But you didn't. But also have a think about Mm, how intrusive the questions are. Like, uh, it's not often that I uh, would meet someone that has to explain the same level of why they look the way they do as I do. Yeah, I can, yeah. Yeah. can only imagine... A lot of our community members mm-hmm. really struggle with disconnecting the way that they look to their confidence level in all aspects of life. Mm. So it could be their confidence at work, their confidence in a sport, um, their confidence in relationships. Um, it doesn't always just have to be tied, but unfortunately a lot of it comes back to being unhappy in their own skin. Mm. And I'd love to talk to you about confidence because, I mean, you sit here as a confident person and like mm-hmm. as are we, mm. uh, everyone goes through ebbs and flows of confidence. Mm. And I think it'd be, I'm interested, especially with the outrageous amount of crap that you put up with mm. when it comes to bullying tied around your appearance. How have you worked through that? And mm. for the people listening who tie too much of their confidence or self-worth to the way that they look, mm. what do you have to say to help mm. them? So much, yeah, so much to say there. Mm. Um, I do think sometimes the comments that I get about my appearance are often projections about the way someone else feels about theirs. Mm. Um, you know, like, oh, I, I couldn't I couldn't do what you do or you're so confident and it's always kind of like that backhander, mm. you know, like... Um, Life got too hard worrying about what other people think. Um, and then you just want to do you and be yourself and do what makes you happy. Um, I think talking about yourself nicely is a really important thing, especially if you've got kids. Mm. And one thing I say to kids, uh, to parents rather, of kids with ichthyosis is when they will be critical of themselves online, like, oh, excuse my photo, my hair's not brushed or, you know, I I look so ugly today or whatever. And I say, hey, can you maybe not say that? Because if your child who has this visible difference mm. sees you talking about yourself like that and you don't, then what are they going to think about themselves? You know, I was very fortunate that my parents always spoke nicely about their own body image and we didn't have any kind of fat shaming or um, diet talk in our house or anything like that. So that was useful for me. And I think, you know, that kind of the way we speak about ourselves is important. Also, I think it's really important to see your real self. I really worry that with social media filters, 
Someone doesn't even know what they look like anymore. Mm. With makeup, with contouring, the way it can alter your face and to have Photoshop, which just mostly used to be only available in the media until recently, where you can just change your appearance so vastly. I think that's really worrying. And it's automatic. And I think that's the thing that that is the most... Like we're pretty passionate about how, yeah. how much I like. It's so there's so much there's so problematic filters because it's ta- like especially they're called uh, beautiful girl or glamorous mm. like whatever. It's always like it, it's telling you that this is the filter and it changes your face ideal. to the ideal. Mm-hmm. And then when you hear, especially like young women who are very impressionable, speaking about oh, don't put me on social media unless I have a filter. That filter has told them the way that they look is not good enough. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And that they need to look like this, whoever. And it's so, it's probably some, probably, I mean, Facetune, for example, is one of the biggest, Facetune is like, you can just put your face in and you can say, oh, how how would you like to improve yourself? Mm. It's founded by men. Mm, and it's like they're all a lot of these companies are founded by men and it's like these filters are being created by someone in their bedroom late at night mm. on what they think a in quotation mark beautiful girl or ideal should look like and it is affecting mm. us so much yeah 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 i really worry about that and i i worry that children perhaps aren't seeing their parents in their real mm. form mm. either like with makeup or with the filters um and I worry that there's that expectation to need to wear makeup to work all the time mm. or you're not performing at your job, no mm. matter what your job is. Mm. You know, you could be working in an abattoir and be expected to wear makeup. But how does that, mm. you know? Yeah, you, you absolutely have to be aware of it. I actually had a conversation with Fifi Box about this because she said it's something, she's always loved getting dressed up and obviously yeah. with what she does, she often like does her hair and makeup and wears something flashy. But she's noticed that in her little girl's, she's not wanting to always make them think like, oh, when mummy needs to leave the house, she's got to look a certain way. And Mm. she's having to catch herself in moments where if her daughter tricks, you might not want to brush her hair. And she's like, oh, don't you sure you don't want to brush it? She's kind of like, actually, no, if she doesn't want to brush her hair, she doesn't care. Let's not project that onto her. It is something that you have Mm. to catch yourself with. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But also I think we really need good allies as Mm. well to Mm -hmm. make sure that we're not losing our confidence with the way we look if we look different. So sometimes, and not so much now, I absolutely acknowledge that I have a public profile and the privilege of that and a lot of followers um, and a lot of like respect from people that I didn't have before this profile, I guess. Mm. Um, but when I walk into a shop, I will look at how I'm treated compared to the way someone else before or after me is treated. And most often it is very different. Mm. And so, for example, you know, they'll get a hello, how can we help you? And sometimes I'm ignored completely or they're asking me, you know, what? why do you look the way you do? Or um, just that, yeah, that real difference. It, and it, I admit it has changed in the last sort of, you know, five or six years, but I think that can really shake your confidence as well because often when you go shopping for clothes, you're wanting to feel your best self and that doesn't always happen when you're not treated well in a customer service role or if you tr- if you're seated away from customers in a restaurant or if you're um yeah othered in any way i think mm. that can really impact so we need you know good customer service as well in those areas like when i um on the day before my wedding i went to get my nails done and i had um I find it really hard to find good hairdressers and makeup people who just don't think that I'm 
contagious or shouldn't be served. And, yeah, I had this weird experience where they wouldn't do my nails and I had to leave and, yeah, just on a day that you should be. So excited. Really great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's really weird about about that. So, And it's that kind of energy sapping stuff. And then if I choose mm-hmm. to write about on social media, then it's the secondary ableism that you get. So people will be like, oh, of course they were worried. They've never seen anyone like you before. Or, you know, how can, how you shouldn't be so entitled to think that they're going to do your nails if they're scared about you or, you know, whatever. But, so there's that. So it's balancing whether you talk about that stuff even. Yeah. But, but it's also must just be so... I'm I'm so sorry. I I, I just can't, especially like the, the day before your wedding. And mm. obviously, that wasn't the only day it would happen all the time. But <laughs> it is people have the ability, or we have the ability, to make people feel really big or really small. Mm. And especially to 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 think that you could make a stranger, because obviously you walk into the nail salon, you probably haven't met them before. Mm. To feel that it's okay to make someone feel small by projecting your own shit onto them yeah. mm-hmm. it's I, I'm, I'm so sorry I, it's yeah. just and again but then it's like I, I can imagine you'd feel this because you do so much amazing advocacy and awareness work mm-hmm. that you'd want to educate on, on why that was not ro- ro- right yeah. so then hopefully someone else didn't do it but you're right you have to relive it every time yeah and the building up to do it like I went to something recently and there was some um, really bad disability representation in it and I just haven't got the energy to yeah right to them because I know that the response is just going to be a stock standard deflection of the situation. So I just don't want to even have to raise it because, yeah, it's tiring. Mm. Yeah. But it's not all bad. I mean, it's not, you know, I think that um, being different makes, it's definitely made me more confident in the way that, and and this again comes from that kind of reducing the low expectations of other people. So I can easily walk into a room and talk to someone and make conversation because I've kind of had to do that in that masking form of, you know, to prove that I'm more than my appearance. So there's that. But, and, you know, get, you know, lots of, get recognised, get remembered by people, which is quite, yeah, which is quite nice. I um, recently did an event at ACME, the um, Australian Centre for Moving Image, and it was the goddess exhibition where lots of women in film have been featured in this exhibition and the following day after the um, opening of that exhibition was a conference and I got to speak at a conference where I was facilitating a panel on bodies on screen and Taryn Brumford spoke with me. Um, Taryn's the current Australian of the Mm. Year who does a lot of body image stuff and Milo Hartill who's incredible um, LGBTIQA fat activist um, and also Amy Marks who's a disability activist and filmmaker and before I spoke Gina Davis was there and um, as she came in she waves to me and I was sitting with my friends and colleagues in the arts and they said, oh, did she wave to you? I'm like, yeah, I think she did. And we we're kind of giggling over that. <laughs> and then when she walked out, she waved again and I snuck out to meet her. She had very strict security, but um, I snuck out with other people who were walking out and then my friend and colleague who was interviewing her introduced us and she said, oh, I was given your book. And so that's how she recognised me because Acme gave her my book and it was really lovely. We had a chat, we had a photo and then her organisation promoted Face Equality Week 
uh, a few weeks ago. So that was, yeah, it was really, really nice to be recognised and remembered. So, yeah. Oh, that, that's special. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Would love to chat to you. I obviously have touched on quite a lot today mm-hmm. already how there's still so much change that needs mm-hmm. to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you've issued a statement as part of the Disability Royal Commission, yep. which is about seeking more inclusivity in mm-hmm. both the media and also having more appropriate education throughout school and training yeah. in workplaces. Do you believe that we are getting closer or how much is there more to be done? Yeah, I think we're definitely making improvements. I mean, we've got disabled presenters on Play School, you know, Kieran Estamel, Kurt Fernley, Chloe Hayden, um, for example. Um, we've got a huge amount of work that has been done by disability activists and advocates and um, policymakers in his, throughout history. I think that's great. But I feel that we need to have a lot more... Um, incidental inclusion, Mm -hmm. so where we're not just invited to talk about this one thing, but Mm -hmm. we're on the whole show, Mm. you know, or um, we're not only expected to educate on disability, um, you know, we're there to talk about our wealth of knowledge or experiences. Um, I think when it comes to disability in the scheme of diversity, I don't think we're doing very well. I think that people have done a lot better in race and gender and sexuality kind of inclusion. But when it comes to disability, I don't see that. And I certainly, and disappointingly, I haven't seen as much allyship amongst diverse communities. So I don't see um, the people who are calling for, you know, less racism and Mm -hmm. less homophobia and transphobia maybe doing the same to decrease ableism. Mm. So I think there's that. And I think that everyone can really play their part in being an ally, like making social media more accessible, so putting captions on videos for people who are deaf or hard of hearing, putting image descriptions on photos and videos so that people who are um, blind know what's happening in there, putting content warnings on, um, you know, around mental health content mm. um, and also not using flashing lights on social media to, so we don't create seizures um, and making sure like representation across the media isn't only the hero or victim, mm. you know, trope or um, fearful kind of stereotype like for people with facial differences often cast as a villain. So making sure that doesn't happen and, you know, in authentic casting yeah, like if they can, I think there's an argument where if there's a film around a disabled person and the person becomes disabled, they're like, well, we'll get a non-disabled person to play the whole sequence in the film because we can't make a disabled person look look non-disabled. But I'm like, if you can CGI a lion that talks, surely you can That's do, yeah. you know, yeah. you can create some sort of effect to show a disabled person playing their non-disabled self prior to becoming disabled, for example. You know, when we're 20% of the population and we're not reflected in media, mm. in workplaces, in um, advertising, it's it's not right. Mm. So there's a long way to go. Yeah. But there are, you know, there are labels that do, do really good mm. work as well. Um, but I don't think across the board it's very good. 
Well, thank you so much. You don't have to do what you do in educating people and speaking so often about it. So thank you for your time today because it's been incredibly insightful and I'm, I'm really hoping that a lot of people take a lot away from this conversation. And I think at the end of the day, we just need to be a lot more kind-hearted and open-minded yeah. um, from what people are going through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it is about um, just not being afraid to get to know someone that yeah. looks different or um, and not being afraid to show your true self as well, you know. I think that's really important. Um, I don't filter my photos on social media because I want people to see that it is fine to look like this if they if they don't have a skin condition. Um, but if they do, then also that it's fine to look like this and be yourself and mm. be confident. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing that you're doing that. And I think it is, when it comes to filters, it's something that mm. for anyone listening that maybe is using them, like I know back and, and we've spoken about this maybe eight, how many, it would have been about eight years ago. I used to, when I had really bad body dysmorphia and disordered eating and I used to edit my body and post it and that was obviously problematic for so many reasons mm. because I was editing my body and putting it out there so that's wrong with then to myself I then became this the areas that I edited became the areas that I never thought were good enough yeah. in myself mm. and for me in stopping doing that which did take time and I understand for people that like I know a lot of people it's like building that self-confidence up to take that filter off but for anyone mm. listening it was it was the most empowering it's feeling and I once I stopped I, I took it some time, but then I never, ever, ever looked at those things again because I forgot that I cared about them and, and that it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, um, But I think, I think that's such, such, such great advice. So thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to get involved, in the kick pod. You can. We have got a kick pod Instagram where you can send us a DM about your thoughts on the podcast, some questions, some stories that happened to you. <laughs> Honestly, whatever you want to send in, we would love to see and read it and hear it and chat to you. And that is at kick pod on Insta. We would also appreciate your following. If you would like to support the podcast, come and follow that account. (laughs) That is where we'll be sharing a lot of this kind of content. So we hope you guys enjoy that. If you want to learn more about Kick, the Kick app, we have a website, kickapp.com, or you can head to the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and download our app. We have a seven-day free trial if you'd like to check out the app. And we're also on Instagram at laura.henshaw and at stephclairsmith. And you can find us over on TikTok as well at Kick. But we'll be back in your ears very soon. Bye.